Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. I always feel like with this that we should have just pressed record because we've just had lots of lovely conversations. I know. And nobody will be privy to them. Well, exactly. It's all top secret information. <laughs> Andy Clark, thanks so much for being on the Broad and the Brave. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me. And it's lovely to have you in my kitchen in real life. Lovely to be in a lovely, nice house. <laughs> It's Most tidier than my own. <laughs> uh, things have just been shoved in drawers and cupboards, I can assure you. Mm. It's all it's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> um, I asked you to go on this podcast, I think, during the madness that was Panto season, because we got yep. to work together. But you're the kind of person that made me feel like I'd always known you. So like, mm. I didn't know you, like I'd met <laughs> you briefly because I've worked with your partner, Kirsten. That's right, yeah. And Kirsten's been on the podcast. And I met you in passing as you were doing the handover of children situation. That's sure. right. That's right. Did you know that mad time where we were teaching in masks and you couldn't really see anybody's Crazy. face anyway? But when we came to do Panto just there, you made me feel like I'd just always known you, which uh, is a lovely thing. Well, so that's, that's good. Uh-huh. Yes, I think that's good. I think that there's, a, there's a bit of a feeling in that in the, the, the arts in Scotland that you sort of feel like you know people. Though you've ever seen them or just heard their name or by reputation. Yeah. Uh, but I know it's good to be back in in the room and without masks. Although masks were coming and going right enough in that rehearsal. Well, I mean, I was wearing masks. I was terrified that <laughs> I had, like I had I definitely had the long gate and I was just terrified that it was COVID. I was testing like oh. every day. I just didn't want to give it to you because that was my first year doing panto, believe it or not. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the years I've been teaching and do, I've done Christmas shows, like yeah, I've done yeah. stuff at the Tron, and uh-huh. I've never done an actual panto. I did a uh-huh. summer panto with kids in the summer, which was great, but that was my first professional panto. So I just was highly aware of like high octane, everybody's on, everybody, like the schedule's mad, we're turning this around and then we're out. So you don't want to be given him dating. You can't get ill, <laughs> but everybody appeared to get ill this Christmas, every other cast I was talking to everybody yes. got ill but um I because there's no time to recover really so you know I always think get it early get it early yeah get... Caitlin did well yes because she had it first we'll just blame her no yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the lovely experience I thoroughly enjoyed that and uh, it was I'm assuming then that Panto is in your repertoire that you've well that was a that wasn't the first time no it has been yeah I mean it's not it's just yeah it's always that's how it got into the into acting really uh, really? Well, I mean, you know, I think you know people have different routes, but a lot of people it is like just seeing your first panto or seeing your first. So I used to go to the the Blairgowrie Players annual pantomime, nice. and the dame was my local minister. So wow. uh, I so I just kind of like thought he was amazing. So his sermons were like you know very. He was such a brilliant public speaker and such a warm entertaining man you know and uh, he was always the dame every year so I was like I just thought he was fabulous I do think like if if more of them were that theatrical and that yeah totally you know, great at like captivating yeah. an audience that people would maybe <laughs> totally. turn up to church well that's the thing because he wasn't like a doer it was Church of Scotland obviously so you know mm-hmm. you know I say obviously, but uh, the Protestant heartland of Perthshire. But because uh, <laughs> but, uh, they can be quite doer ministers. 
And uh, I think ministers, I know. So he was always dead warm and his sermons were, always remember, always remember this, is that he did us, he would he would do his opening sermon up on the, the pulpit and he would come down and speak to us in the Sunday school mm-hmm. and he would do a little, a wee analogy and a wee story and all that and he'd always have wee jokes here and there. And uh, I always remember he was doing a whole thing about trust and he had fruit and he had a load of fruit that none of us had ever had before. He's like, who's had a goose brain? Who's had this and whatever? Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he asked, he, he would say, right, you had to shut your eyes and you had to, to to pick a fruit off the plate and put it in your mouth. And you had to, you know, trust that it was going to be something, you know. It's okay, yes. Right, and he put, and I remember I picked like a really sour, like a blackberry or something. Yeah. And I put it in my mouth and I went, oh, you're a bandit. And, uh, and the minister went, I can assure you, I am not a bandit. <laughs> I always remember that. I always remember it. And it got a laugh. And, and then... Uh, and uh, I, Stuart Young, his name was. He died sadly, um, and I think you might talk about him. He could have maybe been a professional or something like that. But uh, I, so I was in plays. I always kind of looked up to him, and uh, so that's that was how I, I my start really was in panto, and then I ended up. So I was two. Well, you're in amateur dramatics. He did. He so I only, I only did one panto with him, and then mm-hmm. I ended up being Dame uh, in Blair Gowrie uh, before I went off to drama school. But yeah. so yeah, it's always been there. There mm-hmm. and that going off to drama school was that you know, was that okay with everybody in your life? Was everybody accepting that that was the thing that that was a, I, a real life ambition? Yeah, my folks, are, they've never they were never massively discouraging or encouraging, really. They were always like, if you want to do it, do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was never like I was never pushed into anything, really, and it was never I was never put off it, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and uh. I went off and did, um, went to Dundee College first, actually, uh, when I left school, and uh, sort of worked for a couple of years, and I sort of did that thing where I just um, naively thought, I mean, I did want to be an actor at that time, and I sort of naively thought that I would just go off to drama school, and I didn't need qualifications from school and everything, so I didn't, I kind of regret this now, didn't stick in at school at all, actually. I didn't. I don't have any qualifications, mm-hmm. didn't sit any exams, or the ones I did sit, I didn't revise for, and... And I remember my sort of English teacher at the time. I had a really brilliant English teacher in second year, but my, the one in third and fourth year was a wee bit more. He was as as um, <clears throat> encouraging as the other one. And he, I remember him sort of like not quite pinning me up against the wall, but kind of. It was still in that time where it was a wow. bit a bit more aggressive. Where <laughs> T, PE teachers would still like you know yeah. <laughs> while it be in the back of the heat justifiably sometimes some of the hassle they got but I remember like causing a bit of hassle in English and Mr Morgan he was an old older teacher and he took me outside and he sort of had me up against the wall and he was like you'll, you'll amount to nothing if you don't if you don't stick in English and get qualifications you'll never be an actor so and, you, uh, it was already common knowledge that that's what you were wanting to do. I think, yeah. So, but yeah, and I think in retrospect, I think there's a degree of truth in that. That you know, well, you know, despite how how I've I've, I've carved out a living, but I remember at that time, so I just going, you know, I just didn't care about mm-hmm. academia, and I remember actually sort of jumping about now, but um, our headmaster, her headmaster, took me aside once, and he said, um, he said, look, he said, I know you're no interested in school work and you just want to be an actor whatever and he said uh, just keep your head down for the next year he said I just just keep your head down mm-hmm. didn't cause any hassle and you can be out here in six months time okay and um 
I remember him saying to me in his office, he said, but, you know, another sort of you'll never amount to anything sort of speech, right? Yeah. And then I met him again <laughs> about 10 years ago at my auntie's funeral, right? Because he was a member of the church, right? And by this time I'd been in, you know, I'd played Hamlet and stuff at the sets. Yes. And I bumped into him and he said, oh, he said, there you are. He said, he said, there was me sitting at home one night and, uh, and you appear on my TV screen. <laughs> and I remember being at a, you know, a Rotary Club meeting a few years ago and saying, that young boy would never amount to nothing. And I picked up the Herald and there he is playing Hamlet and all this. Good and, on, I'm very acknowledging that. And he was laughing about it. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, what a good, a good, a good blather about it and a good laugh. But, yeah. But it's nice to hear that you had the self-belief in the sense like, you know, that you were being fed one scenario where yeah. you were like, I'm not bothered, but I'm still going to go and pursue the thing. Yeah, totally. That I pursue. Yeah, I mean, I still regret not having sort of got more ac- academic qualifications, but yeah, yeah, I still, I was, I was, uh, I was never put off by it, mm. you know, uh, and I, so I never get put off by these statistics that, you know, 98% of actors are out of work at all, you know, at any one time and all that. And, so, uh, yeah. Just keep head down and, like, like your head teacher said, you keep the head down, just keep. Kind of. Keep yeah. On keeping on, kind of thing. Yeah. And when you went to drama school, did you have an idea of the kind of work that you wanted to do, the kind of roles you wanted to play, or were you just open to anything? Not really. I was kind of like, I sort of caught between, but even though I did sort of start out really wanting to be an actor, and, or, you know, I had a brilliant year at Dundee College, 93 to 94. We had a really, really good year of people, mm-hmm. uh, most of, or a lot of, Anyone who wanted to go to drama school got, school got in from that year, which was yeah, brilliant. Yeah. But then I was also in a band, so I was like, oh. want to be, I did kind of want to be like Ian Brown. Yeah. Or like, because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that time I was like obsessed by the charlatans and all that kind of indie stuff. And I was like, right, that was my. So you front? Aye, front man. But uh, no, I mean, aye. So, so I was sort of like, but again, it was like. So I'd sort of, I was slightly, I'd switch between the two. So I'd be like, I really want to be an actor. Uh-huh. So I'd like, I'd do an acting class and get massively inspired by that and go, right, I want to be an actor. But then I'd like go to a band rehearsal and write a song and I'd be like, oh no, I want to be in a band. I want to be a singer. Do you know what I mean? Or, what was uh, the band called? Oh God, it was initially, it was called Field Trip and then it became Slinky, Slinky. Oh. But uh, yeah, our, our 12, seven inch single is available from all good charity shops. But yeah, uh, so I know I totally so I sort of did find myself sort of going between the two so again that's another slight regret where I god sounded like you know <laughs> I know I know I'm not gonna come out here I'm like I'm like here's another regret I have in my life but no I was like because I, I didn't focus on one or the other and I remember like uh uh I remember Joyce Dean's my drama tutor at the end of first year took me aside and she was like you kind of need to decide I know you don't I mean you can be an actor and a singer or whatever but <laughs> again we laugh about it now but she um, she's like you need to decide if you want to be a pop star or an actor and I do remember getting a wee book of Russian proverbs saying you chase two geese you catch neither and then I remember like <laughs> this is an interesting book but then meeting Quiet. Joyce I know but I remember again because I'm now on the panel at RCS at the conservatoire and sort of talking to Joyce and she's like yeah I remember you back in the day when you didn't know what you wanted to be and you know you didn't know if you wanted to be a singer or an actor and blah 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 I guess there's that thing about focusing on one thing not to say that you're necessarily preparing the other thing forever yeah but just like focusing your energy on one thing for yeah. a 
prolonged their totally. period of time yeah, you know, totally. just to like get into yeah. something like, like really like totally. deep dive into it yeah. kind of thing yeah um, that, that's kind of what happened was you know we sort of half made an effort at being in a band and mm-hmm. we had a few you know because being in a band you have to rely on other members yeah totally so, I know nobody could commit there's five of us right so it's like nobody could quite make that leap and uh-huh. go right let's just try this full time few hard luck stories you know everybody's got a hard luck story about being in a band and could have been a contender and all that and yes. had a few close calls and nearly got to play at Tina Park and all that and just didn't go away way and then eventually I made my piece with it and uh, I think the guitarist who was a it was a brilliant he's a fantastic genius guitar player he moved away to London he says I'm moving to London and we played our last gig our last gig was uh, in Dundee at the Dundee at the Strate Uni uh-huh. and we literally played to like the other band that were there oh. and they were shutting bringing down the shutters on the bar halfway through our set and I just thought Nah, that's it. Had it. I've had enough. And actually, then I did start to focus on wanting to act. And well, maybe it, maybe it was good that it didn't. It wasn't like a pure party <laughs> gig because then it would be nah, like packed. No, nah, totally. Great time. Aye. You would have been miserable because you'd be like, yeah. oh, I'm giving this up. Totally. Maybe that was right. Maybe that was the universe sent you that. Okay. Like, yeah, this, this is the right decision. It. But I guess like it's quite nice to put a full stop on something. Aye. Do you mean and say this is the thing I'm on? Yeah. And I mean, look at you now. Well, I know, yeah, but it's, I still get some solace because we did have a couple of really good gigs in, in Dundee because we're from Blair Gowrie. Mm-hmm. We played a brilliant gig in Dundee, supporting the band that are quite well known, the Hazy Janes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they're still on the go, but. Um, we did a gig with them in another band and it was packed. It was the Westport Bar in Dundee and it was like, that was the kind of, the, the King Tuts, if you like, in Dundee. Okay, it's a wee, right? wee kind of venue and it was packed and we, we played a blinder that night. I always remember it. And yes. I remember like years later bumping into the barman and I was working at the rep at that time and he was like, mate, he was like, what to your band? What to that band? He was like, that band, your band. Don't talk about them. I was like, hey, Ken. It was like, so that kind of bittersweet by going, well, it was nice to know that we're actually... Half decent and, you know, totally. you know, but, um, yeah, there you go. I see sitting in front of a pop star. Oh, I know, eh? <laughs> the things yeah, you learn about somebody, exactly. the, the thing about doing this podcast, and that's why I wanted to start it, because when you do work with somebody, you get snippets, you get, Aye. you know, bits and bobs, and I guess in green rooms and stuff, you'll maybe have more in-depth conversations with yeah. company members or whatever, but I think because <laughs> I'm a visiting Member, I don't necessarily get to know the ins and outs. I know. I'm just too nosy. Like, that's why I've started this podcast because it's just quite, quite right. stuff. Just, well, quite right. Yeah, no, I mean, I was doing my homework on you before you oh, arrived, no. you know, just oh, no. to get the lowdown. And I mean, a plethora of experience in terms of all genres, you no know, theatre, film, TV, radio. You were, you know, you came in and said you've just been doing quite a bit of radio yeah. recently. Is that you going? After those things, is that you, your agent going after things for you? Is it a bit of everything? It depends. I, I mean, I haven't really, I've never really honed in on any particular discipline, if you mm-hmm. like. And it's, you know, for a long time it was theatre because I didn't have any responsibilities or, and so I could go off and do big long tours or whatever. And yes. I didn't, again, I've, I've not, because if I would get offered a job, I didn't have to go looking for work elsewhere. So, you know, and work creates work. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So and in terms of like your theatre work, would you say like even especially in the kind of earlier days of your career, what have been like quite pivotal roles for you or like ones that just stand out that have kind of you've carried with you? Um I don't know, it's far as slightly I mean I, I mean, um as I guess the obvious one 
uh, was Hamlet the Sits, which which was which was great. But I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like a seminal, pivotal mm-hmm. performance or show like in the way that maybe like previous and Hamlet's before or since, you know, like David Heyman's, you know, and um, but for me, it was a it was a, a great moment to mm-hmm. do that. We didn't do it with shaved heads and togas and set it in a kibbutz, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't particularly the most uh, maverick production, but but I think it's nice like that you've got everyone's got their own reasons for the standout moments like yeah 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 what was the most no well you know written about and respected and you know shouting about it like just for you as an actor like those moments where you're like that was me cut my teeth or I feel like I stepped up a level or out my comfort zone or whatever yeah totally. Yeah, I mean, I was in great, I, I really kind of, you know, it was a brilliant cast and I think we told the story, you know, we did it, we told the story and, I, and you know, I, sometimes I remember doing, <laughs> after I did a quite a small part, Measure for Measure, I played Elbow in Wales at the Clear Clued and I remember the director, Philip Breen, who his pet hate was... Uh, when audiences came out of Shakespeare and went, well, it was very clear. And he said, we're not missionaries. I always remember him saying it, we're not missionaries, you know? <laughs> but I remember thinking, coming out the sets, coming out and, like, meeting school kids uh-huh. who hated Shakespeare or were studying Hamlet. Yes. And were like, oh, we totally we get, get it. We get it. And there was a wee, you know, there was a wee guy who'd never been to theatre before. And he's like, oh, me, I get it. I get it. So it was like, I think we did. We told the story and, you know, it, it didn't set the heather on fire, but <laughs> but for me, I think if you if, if you played that part, it's probably and you've enjoyed it and you've it's gone okay. That, that you know it wasn't a disaster. It wasn't a disaster. <laughs> Nobody died. It wasn't a disaster. So school you know, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that. yeah. Like there's a lot to be said for that, and I think you know that aspect of people going to theatre that don't necessarily. You wouldn't necessarily go to theatre or, or young people being introduced to theatre and it being feeling like it's for them. Totally. More of that, please. Yeah. Like, not just the same crowd, same faces. I mean, I consider <clears> myself really lucky to be able to access theatre. Like, I can go and enjoy performances. I can feel like I belong there Aye. when I'm sitting in the audience. Whereas that's not a reality for everybody. So I think if any sort of piece, if you can see yourself in that piece or totally. it, it feels like you get it, Totally. Then, you know, or it does something for you, or it, it's a pure escapism for an hour or whatever. I think, like, yeah. more of that, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because it's like, it shouldn't be like an elitist. No, it should never thing. be, no. I remember going to see um, George's Marvellous Medicine at Dundee Rep when I was like 15 and been utterly spellbound by it. You... Utterly, just like, and again, that was a, a pivotal moment where I go, that's amazing. That like I was just I couldn't stop thinking about it for hours after it, and just like those moments. it's just like you need to get more people into the theatre to inspire those moments, you know. Yeah, yeah, to... yeah. totally. And um, like <clears throat> in terms of thinking about your theatre work and then mm-hmm. moving into TV and film, I'm assuming they're very different worlds. In a yeah, lot I mean I haven't done a lot. Yeah, I've done a lot of film. The one that I, the film I <laughs> was I was like. A one line. I had five lines in the cut. They cut four of them in the uh-huh. Da Vinci Code, but I did uh, not know. Uh, so this was I thought I, in your when I was like researching. I was like, just random. It was just completely random. I was far too nervous, really? and it was like it was incredible. I mean, it's like it was like it's like a sort of hallucination. The fact that I got it in the first place Wait. because it was like 
it was Hubbard's, I think, were casting it. It was the only time I've met them. And it was like, yeah, it was like the scene, there was like four lines, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did it. Uh, we re- I rehearsed it with the casting director and forgot about it, and that was it. And then it was like months later, it was like three months later, I got cast, and I was like, yeah. I didn't believe it. And I was like, I'm not going to believe it until I'm actually on the <laughs> set, you know. And um, it was like four days filming, and it was it was a it was five lines, and then on the first day of filming they changed them all for a, this. First of all, they changed all the lines. Oh my god! But that's what happens, and it was like it was slightly bizarre. I don't, you know, only when I talk about I've, when I rare rare occasions when I do talk about this, mm-hmm. it's not for name dropping purposes. It's just <laughs> for the fact that it was so surreal. Yep. Because I was on set. And Tom Hanks is there. Jeez. Audrey Tattoo is there. Dan Brown is there, the writer. Right, yes. The, and then the script, screenwriter is there. And Ron Howard is there, right? And it's like, I'm sitting there, right? I'm just finished, like... <laughs> what had the job been I know. I, do you know, it'd been something like Pinocchio at the, yes. uh, you know, the, the Lyceum or something. Oh, brilliant. Wonderful. But I think it was, it was something, I, I said the name, I'd worked for a long time actually before that, but it was something like, yeah, I'd done like a Christmas show. And where did you go? And, where did uh, you have to go to actually? Uh, right? To Edinburgh. To, I was right. in the Balmoral Hotel, I think okay. in Edinburgh. And then I was in the, it was Rosalind Chapel. So the, the first day I was meant to be rain cover, which means you just go and sit in your trailer for the whole day. Right. So it's like, go and sit in your trailer do Sudoku or whatever, and if we need you, we'll shout you. But I wasn't actually meant to be filming that day, so I thought, right, I've got a day just to acclimatise, look over my script and blah, blah, blah. I can just, you know, take it on and, you know, I'm I'm on this big, massive Hollywood set. And then, like, ten minutes later, chap at the door, oh, you're on, it's raining. So, like, I'm like, oh, no, so I'm in. So I'm sitting, (laughs) but I'm sitting, and Tom Hanks, who is lovely, he's having the most cliched Hollywood actor conversation you could ever hear, right? Okay. And he's talking to the screenwriter and he's going, kind of his accent, but he's going, yeah, I won the, I won the, uh, he said, I won the Oscar for, uh, what was it? Forrest Gump or something like that. He said, I won it for, every, he says, everyone thinks I won three Oscars in the trot, but I never, okay. he's like, everyone thinks I won three Oscars in the trot, I never, I won, I won one for Forrest Gump, I won one for Saving Private Ryan. And he's like, he's like, I didn't win the third year, I didn't win the third year. And he shouts over to Ron Howard, he goes, Ron, Ron, what was that piece of shit movie Pacino won the Oscar for, right? I swear to God, right? One for one, right? He calls it a piece of shit movie, right? <laughs> right? And Ron Howard shouts back, send of a woman. And he goes, that was it. Pacino won for send of a woman, <laughs> right? Right? He's like, he calls it a piece of shit movie that Pacino won the Oscar for, right? And, oh, God. and uh, I'm sitting there going, I'm, this is totally surreal. And then uh, they came over and they changed all my lines. And oh Tom, Tom Hanks was like, Andy doesn't know his lines. He's taking the mickey at me. He's having a laugh. He's having a laugh, right? He goes, he says, like, I bet you were sitting up on me and learning me. He says, I bet you've been learning him for like a month. And I was like, yeah, I've been. He went, that's how, that's how it works in Hollywood. So he changed all my lines and then they cut them all. <laughs> Apart from one, 
So they cut what they cut so one. So by then, but my hands, my feet, I've got lots of actions in my hands and feet. And you see so when we watch this film. Yeah, when somebody says it'll be in the Da Vinci Code, I'm saying, yeah, my hands are in it. Because <laughs> yes. there's loads of footage of me like locking doors and walking and like looking suspiciously around corners. So I've actually got quite a lot of screen time. Ah. But, uh, comparatively, I've got like, you know, you see me like shadily looking around corners and all that. And nice one. So Very I was just too surreal. I was too nervous. I was just a bag of nerves the whole time. Yeah, like... And I was just, it was just like a big surreal experience. I was like, you know, I was completely unprepared. So it's like it was like one big hallucination. <laughs> I mean, how do you, how do you prepare for these kind of things? I don't know. Tom Hanks here doing it. Aye, because it's just water. I mean, it's like they're totally water off the duck's back, and they were like, he was lovely. They were like, <laughs> and nice you know, and um, they were. I, it was right at the end of the shoot. It was the last week of filming, mm-hmm. and Ron Howard like took me aside at the, on the last night. They all had a Cayley in the Balmoral Hotel. I hadn't. I wasn't dressed for it or anything because I didn't have any. Do you know, they were, you know, have your kilt. Did you, you enjoy wearing a kilt? I know, I love it. I love it. And Tom Hanks turned up in a kilt. Very good. And he was like, You're the only Scotsman in the film, where's your kilt? And I was like, I didn't know it was Again, a kilt. Maybe tell me. I know. And then, you know, Ron Howard took me aside and was like, You know, he did a good job. It's hard to come in at the end of a shoot. This and, one. Um, so I, Richie, for happy days, eh? Tell you. Unbelievable. A bonkers existence. Ah, you know, I mean, it was like, Yeah, it was bizarre. That was it. Uh, and then my, my, my other. Uh, Hollywood movie moment was when I was cast overnight in Harry Potter and then I had it cru- cruelly ripped from under me which was around about the same time just after that because it's it's usually it's quite you know most not most people but somebody uh-huh. it's, it's common for somebody to have like one decent film on their CV yeah, yeah, hard yeah. to get a second one yes. sometimes so you so were like yes about a year later I was uh, I was in Wales doing that same show Measure for Measure and my agent phoned and said uh, I'd seen I'd seen a casting director or she'd seen me two mm-hmm. or three times and yes you sometimes come and go on people's radars right I understand yeah so she'd seen me for a few things and I hadn't got the job but she'd quite liked me and she kept getting me in and she would say oh you know we like you you know whatever and then my agent phoned up and said I don't know same casting director and she's like my agent said I don't know if you're interested in this it's a non-speaking part but it's Harry Potter right so I know nothing about Harry Potter, Me apart either. from it's the biggest, you know, yeah, totally. franchise in the world, right? <laughs> and I was like, where do I sign? Couldn't you care? It's a Harry Potter film, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's a wee improvised scene. You're a wee sort of, a wee guy talking to a spider in, a, in an alleyway or something, right? It's brilliant. Right? And I was like, great, great. She goes, it's two two days filming um, next two weeks' time or whatever. Uh-huh. And I was like, right, great, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And she phoned back an hour later. She went, right, great. I've, I've accepted it. Um, I'll phone you tomorrow with more details. So I went to work doing the show that mm-hmm. night like a kid at Christmas. Thinking, thinking I was in the next Harry Potter film, right? Oh, and I'm like, what? I phoned my mum. I didn't tell anyone. I phoned my mum uh, and I was like, mum, I think I'm in the next Harry Potter film. And uh, I was just like delirious. Like, so stupidly, like, it's so, so shallow to go, you know what I mean? Listen. But, um, do you know what I mean? I was like, oh my goodness, right? And then the next, and I was going, I was doing a lot of walking. At, at Cluid is a bit like Pilochry. It's like, it's a tiny wee theatre. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, it's a big theatre in a tiny wee village in okay, the north of okay. uh, Wales, right? Yeah. So you, there's two ways you can either go. You can either drink yourself to oblivion or, you know, or go, walk. go walking. So I took the Good the road thing. less travelled. I was like, so I was getting up every morning, going up hills and I had my wee guides and everything. Nice I was like, going away, hiking around the, the um, <clears throat> can't even remember the, the area. Anyway, the the mould around all mm-hmm. the pit, 
Pembrokeshire, I think it's Pembroke, Pembrokeshire. So I was going, I was going around all these hills and all that. Right? Totally your steps loving it. I was loving it. I was picture the health. <laughs> and, uh, For your debut. Right. Oh, totally. There we go. And then uh, I drove up the summit of this car park, all set, got mm-hmm. all my gear. I was just going to go for a big, like, six-hour hike or whatever before they've had the show at night and stuff, because I'd my days for the year, so it was like, oh, yeah. go for a big four-hour walk and whatever. Fun. And then the phone rings, and it's like my agent, she's like, oh, Andy, I'm so sorry, it's all off, it's all off. And I was like, what? She says, yeah, they've had a meeting this morning, it's 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 not happening. And I was just utterly <sighs> distraught, and no, I was like, <laughs> I know, I'm trudging around the, the Welsh hillside, sorry. crying. <laughs> I know, so I was like... This is so precarious. I know. So, like, give, give you everything in the moment. I know. I know, and every actor's got that type of story, but that but was like... I would assume, maybe wrongly, is that more that world at film and TV rather than theatre? Yeah, like, usually I. So, you know... That you get a theatre job, yeah, it's happening. Usually, but a lot of people have stories like that. They've been cast or they've done big films and it's been cut or... You to know, be fair, I was in a BBC drama once and it was just the back of my head. Well, there you go. Backting. We're doing backting. <laughs> not very good backting because I'm not yeah. an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm neither an actor either. It's more common now than you think. <laughs> but I, but it's, it's good. It's a nice story to die out on. Eh? You, can, you can laugh about it now. <laughs> but... like anybody, you know, especially young people coming into the industry, I'm ready to hear these stories. Oh, it's man. important to like, you, you, it doesn't always go the way no. you think it's going to go and you just have to I mean, obviously, at the time you were doing gutted, of course you were. Oh, totally. It's trying to look back and be like, you know, as a good story and all the rest of it. But yeah. I guess that that is just like taking it on the chin or, or just like feeling the yeah. feeling the sadness and then coming on the side yeah. and right, fair enough. Hard. We move on. Totally. I think you know? I think it's like the older you get and the more seasoned you get, yes. you can deal with rejection. Do you know what I mean? Or something will happen. And it is, it's difficult when young actors, you hear them, you know, you're chatting to them and they're gutted and they're get upset and because yeah, I've come through the it panel, like, yeah totally you know, RCS or whatever, you know, yeah totally just see that like that but that like, you're like that is the nature of it unfortunately in some circles if you are looking to go into yeah TV and, and then they just going up for stuff like because that, that's not my world because as a performer I did very specific things that didn't require that Aye. kind of going up for you know audition yeah. and all the time so I just it is alien to me some people talk about it I'm like oh you I'd, I'd be terrible at that like because you know I'd be crying every other day. Aye, I'm it's old, hard. Like, like it's me, like, like me. Totally, totally. Because <laughs> I, I remember I was when I, um, yeah, you'd be upset for days if you never got jobs mm. you really wanted. I, when I went for the, when the Dundee Rep Ensemble started in 1999, mm-hmm. I was desperate to work there because that was the theatre I'd gone yeah, to and I'm from that area of Blair Gowrie and uh, I didn't get it and I was utterly distraught. My mum phoned me, I was on holiday and I was like, oh, now it's like, again, it's experience and... Yeah. But I think it's okay to be upset too, because you're like, well, oh, that just shows you how passionate you're, like you wanted something. Yeah, totally. Do you know what I mean? But equally, you're like, well, I know that something else is going to come along. You've just got to trust the yeah, totally. universe and all that jazz. Like, yeah, that's totally. That's what you believe in, do you know what I mean? Well, but, yeah, you're always in the right place at the right play, time doing the right thing. Totally. Well, almost. <laughs> <laughs> For occasional duds. Case, aye, exactly. But, uh, it's hard. And, like, so you, it sounds like you are, like, very much just, like, you know, and I guess... In a different place because you you spoke earlier on about having like not having responsibility. Aye. So I guess as your life changes, yeah, um, you get a bit more philosophical about it and a bit mm. more. It's you can still have that desire and 
for success or or for good doing good work, but you're just a bit more philosophical about it, and yeah. there's no you sort of there's not that desperation that you kind of maybe had when you were younger. Yeah, you know, and it's it does change. I was listening to Helen McAlpine uh, chatting about it similar the other day on uh, something, and she was um, talking about the same kind of thing that she's got kids now, and you know she does good work, you know, but there's there's you know she's not upset or heartbroken if mm. a job doesn't go her way or yeah. if she's missing out on an opportunity because you know there's 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 other things going on, do you know what I mean? There is, <clears throat> yeah. And I, grand scheme of things and all that. But I mean, like, you know, the responsibility of paying bills and adulting and yeah, all that. Like, totally. You need the work, but at the same yeah. breath, like, you're like, well, I've just got to trust that yeah. this isn't for me and that yeah, you just your energy into, no. like, the next thing rather than, kind of thinking about what could be. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And, like, do yeah. you have a preference, like, you know, when you get a job, like, if it was, you know, a theatre job or a mm-hmm. TV job, are you are you still quite happy with the kind of, um, you know, the plethora of, like, opportunities that can come? Or do you have a preference of, like, I, I much prefer to be on stage? I'd love to. Well, it's funny because I was chatting to another actor the other day who's done quite a lot of TV recently. And, you, and they, I think actors do prefer um, to the immediacy, of, mm-hmm. immediacy of being on stage or rehearsing a play. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, as those, you know, I would joke that you want to be doing theatre on TV wages. That's what you want. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Because it is kind of ridiculous that you can do a day's telly, and that, you know, but you take you a month to earn that in theatre or whatever. You've just... done your fair share of telly. Like, uh, yeah, we yeah, 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 totally, totally. So, <laughs> but I think the the I was funny because having chatting to you earlier about watching Cypress Avenue, mm-hmm. again, I always... As much as I sort of joke sometimes, I'm becoming quite misanthropic and a bit curmudgeonly. Like, it's, a I, it's becoming a, a cross between Alan Partridge and Victor Mills. I see myself sort of slipping into that. I always try to choose to be inspired by something uh-huh. rather than sit and moan or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching, because I haven't done like a long run or a, or like an intense play like that for a long time. Mm-hmm. I was watching it going, God, I'd love just to do like a sort of play like that, mm. rehearse it for four or five weeks and, well, three weeks probably. And mm-hmm. and uh, I was inspired by that and going... Great. And the good thing about it is you never retire or you never... So there's plenty of opportunities, hopefully, yeah, to yeah. do that again, you know. Whereas if you're doing TV, again, the, the, the money's good, but you might only have, like, two lines and it might be like, uh, you know, here's the file, Sarge, or whatever. I... And it's not as... It's sometimes hard to put your stamp on it or course, to make it sound... Kind of been milking it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's hard. Uh, yeah. And I you guess know. things being not done in order and... Aye, you know, all that. Just like, yeah, you me. get into it. And having to do the same thing 25 different times and... Uh-huh. I'm so... You get so I don't know, self-conscious in front of a camera, or I do anyway, but... Do you know what I mean? Whereas in the theatre, it's different. I mean, you know, there's 200 folk immediately in front of you, right? <laughs> like, uh, I prefer that to one big like, camera. Aye, you're just a bit mad. lots of people standing about the lights and just... Can, it's just, I know, not, I know. I guess not with necessarily inspiring energy because they're just... Yeah, that's 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 long bit. days for them and that's just long and, yeah. But that's why... Oh, weird like, and wonderful that, world. Yeah, but that's how you get as much enjoyment out of uh, the panel we just had last year, which was yes. just brilliant. It was just and like, that immediacy in terms great. of like, you know, the audience are actively encouraged brilliant. to join in. 
You know, yeah. like, just the things. I mean, being in the audience at some of those performances and just hearing yeah. the laughter and hearing the wee comments, yeah. it's lovely. And yeah. like, I, I, honestly, like Panto for me, having you know, obviously it was just my first year working on it, but like being to lots of Panto's, like it's such an art, it's such a craft. Being the dame, like you're just yeah. holding all of that together for everybody, mm. you know, and just it's such a craft. It's not to be underestimated. No, and it's like been listening a lot to to Brian O'Sullivan's yes. podcast where he's talking, you know, about the art of panto and the craft of panto, and listening to you talking to Johnny Mac recently about it. Yeah, yeah, it should never be under me. No. I, I, it's, it's as hard. I mean, I, th- I do think that <clears throat> any kind of comedy is um, can be as hard, if not. Definitely, it's not necessarily everything can pull that off. No, not and at in all. that immediate, you know, that no. that situation where they're right in front of you and they're no. expecting the laughs, and it's your job to totally. find them. Totally, because even thinking that, like every night on, and that the big challenge for that was if you're having to, it's not my comfort zone. It's having to, you know, um, <clears throat> interact with the audience. But it's simply enjoying yeah. my night. It's like that says. You know he's at home, and you know he could, you know he could add an extra hour on the show, yes. watching Johnny McKnight chat to the audience or drag to the audience. I mean, right? I did the robbery of life with Johnny and asked him one question, and then he's just away. Exactly. I was like, you actually oh, don't need me. Here you go. Like, <laughs> it's, I, just it's brilliant to watch. It's uh, brilliant to watch. Yes. And it's like I've seen Johnny do it, and it's hilarious because he's so quick, he's so funny. But for me, that's that's tough sometimes, and yeah, yeah, because you're like, I'm so paranoid or petrified about picking the wrong person. Because do you, do you know what I mean? And I'm like, if I pick the wrong person or they're I need you to work with me. Do you know what I mean? It's like and I know in the one we had recently I had to pick on a guy and had a wee interaction where I was like, Oh, you know what material do you want material my dress is wife material? But sometimes if there wasn't a guy, sometimes there wasn't like the first show uh, there was no men in the audience. There was no men in the audience and it was a whole thing about, you know, finding a husband and all that and uh, it was all kids and I had to pick on poor old um, sound guy. God forgive, I forgot his name. Lovely guy. Um, so I spend all my time backstage going, looking through cracks in the scenery going, Wait, can I see somebody? Can I see somebody? Oh, can I see somebody? And you know. What I loved about that panto was so it was the Glasgow Life panto, mm. the the fact that it's going into communities. You yeah, know? So totally. The, the, the theatre comes to them. Totally. And it's in their space. It's in a space that they're familiar with. Absolutely. But it's a professional panto, professional actors. The whole, you know, it's all been designed beautifully. And, yeah. You know, there's been a whole team behind exactly. it. Exactly. So you're getting the quality. That's what I loved about it. It's great. The, the, I think the, it's such a great... And it's, yeah. it's, a, it's very affordable. Agreed. Like, people, Agreed. Which is... Tremendous. That's what was part of the lure of it. Actually, is that, is the thing behind it is that, um, yeah, the 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 production values working with you guys was brilliant. And I had a lot of time. Like, oh, you put us through our paces. Okay. I've still got the still got the injuries, the pulled muscles. God. Yeah, just the joy of it's it. Brilliant. Like, I think it. Yeah, it was lovely. I thoroughly enjoyed going to watch it as well because you yeah. so like you again. I'm like, huh? Ah, but yeah. I and I wonder, like, do you, you know, so you're saying that kind of backstage, you're thinking about, you know, uh, the cracks. Do you have um, any sort of kind of regimes or any like creative process, like going into, like, even just rehearsals? Like, how do you set yourself up, or does it change from job to job? It changes from job to job, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have any sort of hard and fast. So I'm still looking for a system. That's the thing. Like, does it exist? I know, but it's like, it's, yeah, exactly. 
It's like, it, yeah, it's different for everything, eh? I think you have to, because uh, you have to be so malleable. Yeah. Like, I can imagine if you were to put your CV out in front of me the now, yeah. like, you did that, and then you did that, yeah. and then, you know, accents and, and the physicality, like, if you've been asked to do something, because you, you had to put your uh, jazz shoes on, you were like, I've had these. Oh, my capizios. I was, like, so impressed. Oh, and you're like, I've had the, and them. What was it you got them? That winds up Kirsten so much, because I was, we all got them on a ta- version of Tamashanta. Yes. And it was Malcolm Shields, the choreographer, who was also in it. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I don't know how it came about, but he was like, we should all have these jazz shoes. So yes. we all got jazz shoes. Split soul. Split capizios. soul capizios, right? I was like, so you mean business? But it immediately just makes you feel like a dancer, right? Yes. You, you but right? just properly. So, and at the end of the run, I think, I just said to the costume woman, I was like, um, can I keep these? And she went, I have them. Great. So I kept mine. They're in great, Nick. Aye. And everybody... Aye. Kirsten was in the show. We were oh, pals at that time. Right, okay. And she, she never got hers. And uh, she was uh, she was the horse. What was, she was Meg and I was Tam. <laughs> and uh, so it winds her up every time I drive. Pull it, <laughs> pull it my capizios. And I'm like, look at me, I'm a dancer. And I always wear them in rehearsals when I'm doing pantos. I'm a dancer. And I'm like... But it does help, but aye. <laughs> But uh, yeah. they must, I guess, like whether it's items of clothing or just like situations that you've been in backstage, on stage, these things that you collect. Mm. You'll have a story from every show, every scenario. Aye. That you know, people you've met, shared experiences, things that have happened. I guess because life is going on while you're doing this really quite intense thing. Yeah. That you know you've got to have a life that runs alongside it and yeah. managing life alongside yeah. having this career that doesn't really necessarily stop when you walk out the door. Or, no, exactly. Yeah, you know I mean, because it's yeah. learning lines and long days and yeah. routines or whatever it is, do yeah. you know what I mean? And how are you with that juggle? Well, I, I've not, it's not been tested too much to the limits at the moment, but so because I've not done like a sort of big, long or a big, massively intense job mm-hmm. since having the two girls and stuff. But so I'm sort of just coping with what I can at the moment. Yeah. But sometimes I've seen things and I've gone, oh, I don't know if I've got the headspace for that at the moment. Like I've done a couple of readings of a play, I won't mention it because I curse it and it doesn't come off. And it, it may never, I say, it might, it might generally never never come off. Okay. But, but I was thinking, God, I'd, if I was to commit to this or if I was lucky enough to be offered it, I'd need to, I'd need to make sure I had the headspace for it, you know? You know? Yeah, um, it's just like subject matters and mm, roles that I, I guess will be, will be more demanding of that yeah, than others. Yeah. Just the nature of the work. Oh yeah, totally. The size, yeah. maybe even just the size of the, the, the production itself, yeah. and yeah, you know. I think I'd need a bit of preparation for jobs now. I think, it, like, um, if I knew I was doing something in three months' time, a, a big chunky thing, yeah, I would start the head get my head around it now. Yeah. But um, you just adapt as well, though. I'm surprised because it's like I couldn't look after myself, you know, five or six years ago and couldn't get my bed before 10 o'clock. Do you know what I mean? But now it's like, like now you're in charge of oh, unbelievable. But you just adapt. It's just like I need to get to bed earlier. But um, but uh, I, you just adapt, really. And I need to learn. I guess you just compartmentalise a wee bit, you know. So I need to do that more. And, and let's talk about your fabulous voice. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> God. All the voices. <laughs> because, well, even just, like, obviously, so working with you in Panto, your mm-hmm. speaking voice as well, but they, when I was online and then watching some clips and stuff, and I'm like, 
<laughs> I mean, natural speaking voice is lovely. So, because you were saying I've done some radio, now, like, yes. But even just speaking just now, you've jumped into quite a few accents. Oh, that, and I'm like, bad. That, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, that's that's a skill that no, everybody has. Yeah, I need to brush it up. I'm sorry, it's funny. I remember I did a job years ago with um, a brilliant, he was um, an actor who was in the original Starlight Express, right? Wowzers. Uh, Rake, again, God, I'm terrible for remembering. Well, I can remember names, but I can't remember his second name, but lovely big guy. And uh, he was a big American guy, and he was like, he, he says, I'm so lazy. He's like, I do my own accent. I'm, that's it. I'm not interested in any more accents. Do my own accent. That's it, that's right? Clash You're like, that's fine, right? He's like, I'm, he's, and he was sort of tongue-in-cheek saying, I'm lazy, I'm, you know. I'm a bit, not, I wouldn't say I was lazy, but I'm more... Like, uh, I'm less committed if I was to do a TV job but I needed an accent. I'd be like, yeah, it's got to be mm. perfect. And I'm like, okay. have I got the, the capacity <laughs> to do that? I think you can get away with it in theatre and, you know, with, with voice coaches and stuff like that. And um, at the same time, I'm a bit like, I, I don't necessarily just want to use my own accent. Mm-hmm. But... To have that dedication to get, like, see when I watch, like, who have been watching recently? All these British actors that go over and do American act- accents. And to us, the ear that's perfect, you go, the dedication that must take to yes. have a flawless American accent or a flawless, uh-huh. like, Jodie Comer doing, Let's you know. Like, I, you you know that's who I was thinking of, like, she's so, exceptional. Uh, brilliant to have that. Uh-huh. So if somebody said to me, can you do a German accent? I would just be like somebody, a follow a load, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, or French. Oh, honey. But to have that dedication. <laughs> to get every syllable, every word. Just yeah, because it's hard enough then, like a regional Scottish accent, do you know what I mean? Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. Um, so I am guilty of, and I, 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 it's funny because I think it's a, a trait of, without banging the Scottish working class drum too hard, it's a trait of, well, I've noticed that in Scottish working class actors that sometimes, especially young candidates for conservatoire, they don't think their voice is good enough or it should be refined. And I've fallen into that trap and I know other actors that I've seen on stage fall into that trap. And I've been, I remember being... They feel that they need to... to They feel they need to posh up their voice or they need to go... Yeah, and I remember... Don't do that! (laughs) It was really embarrassing, actually. I remember, like... Getting pulled up, it was Graham McLaren who used to run Theatre Babel and he ran the Abbey for a while. And he came in to do professional practice and we did speeches and I just immediately did a speech in RP. It was Shakespeare. And I did it in RP, posh English accent. Can't remember what it was, right? It was whatever. Now is the winter of our discontent. It wasn't that, but... And he said, why did you do it in... um, Why did you not use your own accent? You did it in a posh RP English accent. I went, oh yeah, I don't know. I just did it. He went, do it in your own accent. Mm -hmm. So I did it again, and he went, why did you do it in RP again? <laughs> and it was like, it was really embarrassing. It was like, couldn't you let go of this kind of, uh-huh. that Shakespeare had to be done like this? And, yeah. yeah. And I remember when I when I did get offered Hamlet, I was in uh, London at the time, and uh, folk were like, oh, what, what accent are you going to use? And by this time, I sort of got over yeah. all that, and I was like, well, I'm going to use my own accent. Main <laughs> accent. <laughs> To be annoyed being that, you know what I mean? And I was like, I'm going to... And, but the amount of folk were like, oh, wonderful. What accent are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> my own accent. Right with us. My own accent. But it's tricky. It's tricky. And I remember, I've, it's happened a few times, there was a guy, and he did actually get in. He was a brilliant young actor, and he did... He was from the Northeast, and he did his two pieces in RP. 
Mm-hmm. And he had a beautiful northeast, you know, almost kind of done a Doric accent. Yes. And I was like, why? You've got to be careful when you're uh, in, on the, in an audition process mm-hmm. because you don't want to criticise him too much or, no, or yeah, do you know what I mean? Or say, yeah. But I was, I said, just out of curiosity. Yeah, curious as to yeah, why. Yeah, and I'm like, why did you do, why did you not use your own accent? And he went, oh, just doesn't sound right and blah, blah, blah when I'm doing it. And I was like, I said, you, I said, that's your... That's your gift. That's your, you know, without sounding too corporate, that's your USP. Yeah. It's your unique yeah. selling point. I said, like, you've got a, a fantastic accent, a fantastic voice. And I, and I would say, oh, just think about maybe using that a bit more. And it is particularly the Scots. And again, that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I, I've, I've fallen into that trap myself. You know, but I, I guess like it's one of those things like because it's it's a tough industry as it is best of times, then you just it's natural to just do what everybody else is doing. Yeah, because totally. you're like that's the done thing. That's the way. Well, that's it. You got you I, know, I, I, I kind of conform yeah. to a certain extent. Totally. I mean, I'm but not. Then you, you want to be a rebel sometimes. Too, totally. Like, just, and, and then set a new trend. Yes. Well, like, again, like you said to him like in that moment, like you can use your own accent. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, because you've now got influence if you're sitting on panels and things. Yeah, oh god, yeah. <laughs> but it's like I'm I'm not of that generation that had their accents beaten out of them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like people like Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart and even like uh, older actors up here, brilliant older actors that went off to Rada in the fifties, you know, went went from, you know, Priest Hill right. as we Glasgow guys and then they come back talking like that, darling, you're hello, it's so good to see you. <laughs> you're like, Hi, but they got their accents beaten out of them, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting because, like, I'm just always impressed with, like, well, somebody with a very interesting speaking voice, you know, uh-huh. um, but also somebody who can just switch into, and mm. obviously you can, so it's just... It's, it's yeah, like, it's good. That. If you can get it right, if you're, yeah, if you can get it right, it's good. But you've got, like, a lovely lil in your own natural uh-huh. speaking voice, do you know what I mean? So, like, when you said you were doing radio, I was like, that would be lovely, I'm sure, in your ears. Uh-huh. <laughs> and what is the radio stuff like? Like, do you enjoy that? I do. I think again, it's like I remember if 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 you do the work beforehand, it's good mm-hmm. for me. Anyway, if it's like a, I remember about probably ten years ago now, but I remember doing like a a fifteen minute short story. Okay. And I did that thing where I didn't do that much prep for it, and I was like, I sort of skimmed, read it a couple of times, but that'll be fine. And I got in the studio, and then they were like, right, pretty much just read it. And because I, I thought they'd maybe do like a paragraph at a time, right. yes, 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 no. <clears throat> but she no. was just like, no, just do the whole thing. And I was like, oh my god! So by the end of it, I was like a bag of nerves, of a mess. And I was like, I'm either going to have to get really good at this or just not do it at all. So the second time I did that a, a couple of years ago, I did a, I did a lot more prep on it, and I was like, I read it and read it and read it, and you know, mm-hmm. so it was a better, better um, experience. Yes. And it, so that, I think that's my limit. I've I've done like fifteen minutes. And then the 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 last week I got or a couple of weeks ago I did a radio four book of the week, which is five fifteen minute segments. Right. So that was a bit of a marathon. Right. But again, I did more prep for that, and yeah. I you know I still felt I got caught out a bit in the recording of it. And little things jump out at you, but. Um, I think the the more prep you put into it, the totally. the, the the better the process for anyone really. I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, I know that's the thing. Even like with my poems, like when I record them, I think ah, yeah, like <clears> if, I've, if I've you know said it a million times and I know it off by heart, it's always going to be better than if I'm sitting with the thing in front of me, totally. just reading it. Yeah. You know? So I I'm think not very good at the prep thing. Oh, that's no, why I'm good at it. I need to, I'm instant. Like, I'm the same. And I'm like, you're oh, no. I know. It's why I take a pill. <laughs> 
I want to play the piano. Is there a pill you can take? It just makes you. Play, do you know what I mean? I'm actually going to buy a piano. Exactly. Exactly. Buy a piano and just be able to play it. Correct. It's that's all. Is that not naturally too much... good at anything? Nah. First time. It's not too much to ask, is it? But I, uh, I, I felt after that I still hadn't quite done the prep that I should have done. Now I was talking to Angie Darcy the other week. She was doing a, a workshop on voice acting. And she was talking about how much prep needs to go into like an audio book, mm. like two or three weeks of prep of, you know, annotating every, you know, a little wee bit right. and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So I need yeah, to... Quite studious work. Ah, so... Uh, but radio is, I mean, it is good. That when I did I did a radio play recently and the work was getting in the way of the anecdotes really, but hmm. just with, you know, a big cast, of, it's so unusual to have like eight people in a room now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and just blathering away and it was people like Paul Young and Maureen Carr and all these brilliant people and it's great. Do you get the same <clears> nerves going into something new as you've always had? Aye, kind of, yeah, you're still the, a bit um, apprehensive, eh? It's like still, aye, you can... Uh, that's good to hear. Because <laughs> I do oh, totally. go into a new room of people like I did with a panto. And I obviously first panto and all that as well. Yeah, but yeah. Like, and obviously I've worked with Julie. Like I've done, like I did Snow Pals with Julie. And, Aye. Um, so like, and we did Rent together. So it wasn't like she was alien, but even if if I hadn't known her, I think I, like, I still would have had, yeah, just that trepidation of, yeah. I'm not supposed to be here. I believe it's your I'm first. I'm not going to be very good. I know. That your jazz. first panel, can I believe it? Do you know, but like Aye. that thing. like Oh, totally. It's, Imposter syndrome. It's, it's quite nice to hear just people, even if you're not feeling like, you're not questioning your ability or the reason no, you're but there, think... but just like the newness of it and is this going to go well and what we're going to be asked to do. and Yeah. And then I always feel the nerves for, certainly from a choreographer's point of view, that movement isn't necessarily everybody's favourite no, thing. No, I know. And it's sometimes quite the sticking point for people who are so capable and so brilliant. And I'm like, you don't need to worry, but they have this yeah. thing about moving their body yeah. and learning steps. And I'm like, this is a doll compared to everyone else's. Yeah, like, who's totally. going to fly? Yeah. So I get the nerves for other people because I know, yeah. I, I feel like it's my job to put that ease. Which you do very well. Thanks. You don't. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like Aye. that thing because you're like, I want you to enjoy this. I don't yeah, want totally. you to like, oh, to dance, I know. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's nice to hear that even like you with the CV oh, yeah, and the experience totally. you've got, really. like yeah. that you're still going. And I guess that that comes from a place of like, you want it to go well. Yeah, totally. I was interested to speak to you if you're uh, up for it about Cairn. Oh, aye. Because obviously I spoke the... to Kirsten aye. about it. So, right. And that was what... Gosh, I'm trying to think when she was here. Aye. So that was, I guess that was after we worked together. And I'm saying we worked together last year, but then it was 2021. I know. So then she was here not long after we worked together in the summer. All right. So now we're like two years on. What's happened? Yeah, God, it's, I know it's, it's been a while, isn't it? It's um, because it was three, it'll be almost three, just over three years since the the genesis of the idea came Mm -hmm. about. So if anybody's been living under a rock, Mm -hmm. you know, can you give us a, well, what give us a lowdown. the lowdown was that um, about three and a half years ago, Equity, our union, um, decided to go through a, a restructuring process which affected Scotland, which we disagreed with effectively. Yeah. And uh, we campaigned to get those changes stopped or reversed. Uh, or seek an alternative, and uh, those changes went through, which involved um, uh, redundancies. And um, we 
as a committee, most of uh, I was on the Scottish committee. There was twelve of us, nine of us resigned um, because we just disagreed with it. Really, we didn't we didn't think it was the right thing to do. We weren't against change per se, but we just disagreed with the manner in which it was um, conducted. So um, we went on quite a public campaign to try and get it reversed, um, and um, it, it went through as planned. So we didn't feel we could stay in the union, and um, so we were sort of we were sort of the political equivalent of trade union equivalent of politically homeless, if you like. Mm. We looked into there was all sorts of things explored about whether we. Um, join a different union or, you know, at one point we were looking at a devolved equity, if you like, a Celtic Nations equity was mentioned at one point. Okay. Um, and, you know, stay and fight and we felt that that wasn't going to work. Um, so we started to think about starting our own, effectively, which is crazy. Yep, start yep. Your own. Oh, now we're going to do this. <laughs> now we're going to start our own trade union. And oh, uh, yeah. uh, the idea, it was actually mooted by, I was a member of Northern Ireland, actually, that had the first right. first conversation about it. Um, so we had like a few Zoom calls with former trade union um, officials and Drew McFarlane, who's a retired trade union, he, he was the equity organi- organiser up here for a long time. He was, he's great. He's He didn't think it was the right idea. He was like, you know, this will take you 10 years. And he's like, but I, you know, I'll do what I can to help you, and I'll give you advice. And he was constantly playing devil's advocate, going, you know, mm. this is a massive undertaking. But we sort of just took advice, and we put the feelers out really, and said, you know, to we we, we had a I said to I initially said let's come up with something called the first fifty and see if we can get fifty people interested. Yes. And Kirsten said, let's let's go for five hundred. Let's <laughs> aim high. Let's go for it. Oh, she was like, no, no, first 500. And I was like, right, okay, first 500. So it was about a group of us sort of um, started putting the feelers out and said, would you be interested in a new organisation for creatives in Scotland? Uh, representation and all that kind of stuff. And most people, a lot of people were like, yeah, we'd be interested. And it took about a year and a half to get going mm-hmm. just by, you know, just because we're all volunteers and it's quite difficult to start up. Yeah. A union from scratch. But I can't imagine actually. Well, no, and it's still. Uh, but we all kind of believed that it was the right thing, and um, I think the good thing about launching so long after it all kicked off or happened was that it's not necessarily reactionary. Mm. Like so <clears throat> everything's kind of settled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we took our time. We got a website designed, and we got a um, logo designed, and we did it all properly. And you know we've. Uh, we did it all officially and uh, we launched last June, I think. Mm-hmm. And some days it's like, what have we done? No, but some days it's like, Isn't it a great idea? yeah, it's a great idea. And it's like, well, you know, there's huge challenges, massive challenges, because, you know, we're, the big trade union movement is, it's multi-million pound organisations. You're up, I'm not up against, because we're, we're trying not to position ourselves as a, as a, as a, as a, comp- a competitor, mm-hmm. we're just trying to position ourselves as an alternative, really. yeah. and it's all right. I kept sort of quoting the European, uh, sorry, the the Universal Decla- Declaration of Human Rights, okay. which you know, um, it's 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 our right to organise and form a trade union. 
So, uh, which we've kind of done, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of things about our status. We're not, it's so boring, but <laughs> about being a certificated listed trade union with the UK government, which we're not. But, okay. you know, we, um, we're, we're very much focused on what we can do and, and our purpose rather than our status, really. Yeah, so, I just saw your post recently. Is that a workshop? Yeah, so basically what we're sort of doing is we're, we, are, we are, yeah, we're an, a grassroots alternative, basically, for anybody that wants to join. And we're just slowly but surely sort of building a network. And, you know, we've got over 140 members at the moment so you know uh, and we're just trying to make things a bit better for people working in the arts in Scotland it's surely all you can kind of really even that thing like it's not the difficult concept <laughs> no but even that workshop last week we opened up to non-members like for a fiver mm-hmm. and it was like I, we did a self-tape workshop in, uh, uh, just before Christmas and it was like three hours long, and it was um, for me. It was worth the it was worth the membership subscription alone. Yeah, it was free. Yeah, it was free to members, no. but it was just so like informative and like it was so revelatory to mm. me. It was like if you take away one or two things from that, you're laughing. Exactly. And the same thing with Angie. We got Angie Darcy from Brennan Artists in to do a voice artist in the home studio workshop. Yes. And we had like fifty people. Oh wow. Forty five. Yeah. Well, it's just sure there's a need for it. Yeah, like, totally. It's, uh, and it was like... And that's, amazing. I guess, like the nature of the, the business as well, changing with lots of things. Being self-taped now is not oh, totally. in the room and, and people recording voiceovers from their home. And like, totally. that's, I mean, that's it's it. partly COVID, but partly just the immediacy of everything and everything being digital and all the rest of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you kind of have to go with the times to a certain Kinda. extent. Well, that's it, really. Because exactly, she says so she's sitting here with her very <laughs> no, but minimal. You, but that's it. That's it. Like uh, yeah, it, but I guess armed with the knowledge, then you can make informed decisions. Exactly. Like things, you know, from serious things to also just like the yeah, yeah. how do you do a self tape? What do you need? Yeah. Well, that that's what the two workshops we've done is like basically on a shoestring. It's like yeah. you don't need like Doug who ran the Russell who ran the self tape workshop. Mm-hmm. He puts his phone on a bit of blue tack and sticks it to the window. Really? Like, and he was like, because he showed us a couple of his self-tapes. The lighting was amazing. Yes. It was great. And we were like, Naturally. Yeah, and he's like, I didn't even use the tripod. He's like, I just stick <laughs> it to the window. Wind- stick it to the window. And I was like, that was like a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, that's great. Because you... Everybody can get blue tack. Totally. <laughs> and it was like, you didn't even need a tripod. And really? it was like, Stuff like that, and then Angie talks talked us all through the home studio setup, saying it doesn't need to be expensive, and you don't need mm-hmm. a room, you know, a few moving blankets and yes. a few clothes horses. And oh, I made a podcast during the pandemic. I mean? It was recorded like Gary Lamont getting his clothes horse and his dude. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. yeah. So, I like, just having all the bells and whistles doesn't mean that it's going to be any better. Not really. These tweaks, but. It's lovely that you're offering that opportunity to people, do you know what I mean? And yeah. Just getting people together and being in the room with like-minded people are just, and like offering that and for that wee snippet of something to somebody yeah. that just, you know, you're like, geez, oh, like blue tech. Never thought about that. Great. Thank you for that. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah. And then obviously what else comes of that then, you know, yeah. you get people in the room and conversations start to happen about conditions and yeah, totally. things that are happening and, you know, and that, yeah. that'll affect positive change, hopefully. Yeah, you know. I think so. We've already had some meetings. We had some good meetings with some theatre companies and stuff, and sort of like quite bravely, like weirdly, great that companies have wanted to meet us. Mm-hmm. 
but then we've gone and expressed our views of our members to the companies and you know so uh yeah hopefully Great. It's a huge. I'm enjoy. I do enjoy it. It's that long that you'd have to enjoy. Yeah, actually, like, it's a lot of effort is. on top of like, yeah, you're like I need to find work and I need to do the work. Yeah, and totally. Look after humans. Exactly. And I need to be a partner. And I need to be a person and a friend and all these things. So I think anybody that starts something that's not only for the good of themselves but also the good of others, like the in their yeah. industry, like that's like yeah. a really selfless thing to do and yeah, yeah. not to be taken. Lately. Yeah, I know it's, it's we've got a good team and stuff, and you know there's a long way to go. And but I, and we're up for the we're learning as well. It's like yeah. learning of the the legalities of school day. Yeah, totally. Just <laughs> like totally, just stuff that you're learning and really interesting, trying to find stuff out. And yeah, great. But yeah, it's really going well. It Hi, yeah, it's good. We're enjoying it. And what for you, professionally, personally, whatever you want to share, is like. What's immediate? What's happening next? Um, I'm just doing some more. Kirsten's working full time practically, yes. so I am sort of taking a bit of a back seat, which mm-hmm. is great, which I'm happy with, really. Yeah. So I'm just filling the gaps, really. Uh, got good her folks and my folks, to be fair as well, um, help out with the childcare. Mm. Um, so I've got some development work coming up. Nice one. Uh, and like. More, I'm on. I'm on the addition panel at RCS. Yes. So been like uh, watching lots and lots of self tape videos. Have you now? Aye, <laughs> two hundred of them. Wow. And uh, oh, she. Aye, it's good. It's just, again, it's so you learn so much. I bet. What a nice way, like you know, to be involved in your industry, but yeah. just that aspect, like not necessarily so, gets that. I know. I resisted it. I resisted it for a long time because I thought I don't want to be responsible for somebody's future do you know what i mean and i, I know um so, uh, the uh, somebody who worked in admissions who knew as an actor she was like do you want to come in and be in the panel and i was like no nah, t- that's too big a responsibility and i was like yeah, i don't yeah, want yeah. to do that yeah. and then about three or four years ago i was like i had me change of heart and i thought mm-hmm. oh, do you know what i'll make it a go yeah and it was good because it was in person at the time and it was like workshops yeah. where, and you just put, you remember you when you were that age and you were in that position. So we're actors and, you know, being in your shoes, we're still, we're still in your shoes because we're actors. Yeah. So we're in, we're on, we you know, stopped. Nah. Yeah. so we're always like in auditions and blah, blah, blah and mm. workshops. So you're kind of rooting for them. Do you know what I mean? Of course. And Absolutely. it's not like the old next in the old days. Do you know what I mean? It's like you want them to. And to be fair, a lot of this candidates that have come back have said that the RCS, well, it was a common or garden academy when I was there right enough, but um, I've said it's a really good audition process. Well, that's nice. The panel's really nice. Great. Really, so it should be. Aye. aye, and it's nice people. And, you know, and again, it's learning. It's funny because I'm on, you go on with a partner usually, and it's now online. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, right, right? but you're watching it. And uh, sometimes if I'm on with another professional and actor, and after you're like, oh god, I'll, I'll remember not to do that. Do you know what I mean? If they've if they've chosen an odd piece or they've said the wrong thing, you're like, I'm like, yes. learning. Thank you, like, you for that. <laughs> and then one guy did a, I'm angry doing something. I did a speech at drama school twenty five years ago that I've never found since, and I can't even remember it. And I was like. Can I remember the writer? Right. Remember, it was about cats. It was about cats in a window box, right? Okay. And uh, 
it was his cat, but this guy had uh, his dad had cats in a window box and the whole speech. And last year, this guy did that speech, and I was like, and I was like, that's that speech. And the minute he finished, like, mate, can I just tell you? I don't care what the quality is. I just need to tell you that I've been looking for that speech for twenty five years. Wow, so, yeah. aye, and it was brilliant. It was to get it. Aye, so uh, aye, so that's good. That is good. I don't feel I've got the weight of that responsibility because if somebody doesn't get in, they're usually talented enough to get in somewhere else. So sometimes you can buffer it by going, do you know what? We didn't quite have the numbers yeah. to let that person through, but they're good enough. They'll probably get in to yeah. Lambda. And I'd love to be able to say, I'd love to give a bit more feedback and say to somebody, because I did the same. I went, to, I went straight to Dundee College, assuming I would get into college and I remember auditioning. I did like a, a slab boy speech. Everybody at that time did the slab boys, right? That was like, just, you done, know, done thing. learned the slab boys and I did a song and I remember the tutor, Sheila, just Alan saying, you're not ready, go back, go back to school and get some more experience. And then two years later, I came back. So when you see somebody coming in in a similar situation, you kind of want to say to them. Yeah, it's not not, not now, but not, not, not saying not ever. Yeah. You kind of have to very gently, I don't, you know, Liz Carruthers, who's the chief, the, the, chair of the, the panel is very, very diplomatic, saying, have you ever thought about uh, a foundation course? There's lots of foundation courses, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. you know. And these people might aye. want to do brilliant yeah, things exactly. in, in that yeah. industry. I just but sometimes you want to, like, take them aside and say, listen, go and do a foundation course and mm-hmm. come back in two years' time or a year's time. Just life experience, maybe. As well. Aye, just totally, you know I mean? totally. Like, you've necessarily been anywhere or done anything. And, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like I, I like how you've got that um, variety. It sounds like you've done everything. You've touched uh, on lots of different worlds and bases, aye. and you're still doing that, and you're still like learning and putting yourself aye, in totally. new things. And yeah, great. I still, I still think, yeah, totally. I still think it's so. I remember listening years ago to Barbara Dixon. Barbara Dixon, and so she was getting interviewed on the radio, and somebody said, "What's the highlight of your career?" And she said. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and she said it, she said it tongue in cheek, but she sort of wasn't like, you know, it was just, you know, she kind of laughed and I was like, I kind of think, I I mean, if, I kind of sometimes feel like you're just starting, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like... Because of that learning, because there's always something new. So you're like, totally. I've, I've not got this figured out. No. Something's going to get thrown in the mix that I've never had to deal with before. Totally. Exactly. And that's lovely. Aye. Surely you don't want to know it all. Because no. then if you do, we're, we're, well, that, what's the secret? Exactly, totally. exactly, exactly. You don't want to peak too soon. <laughs> but uh, aye, so aye, there's still, mm. and there's things I want to go back and say, like, oh, I didn't feel I did that justice, so I need to go and, you know, try something else. It was interesting what you said about regrets, because you know that, that famous thing, you're like, oh, no regrets. Aye, aye. Like, can anybody say that they've got no regrets? I think regrets are a healthy thing. Aye, it's hard. You want to go, I might have done that differently. You don't want to, you know, I, or, or you know, yeah, regret. You do, yeah, you do have regrets, don't you? Of course, you? I. You, you know, and, you, and I think that's how you learn, surely. Yeah, totally. Like, if you go, I will never do that again. Yeah. But equally, you know, to take, to try and take, to spin it on its head and try and take the positives from something. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, I didn't do my best or I didn't do it that way or I would never do that again. But yeah, yeah that's that's a positive. That yeah, totally. Learned something, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's a takeaway. And yeah. I think uh, just in the nature of like the kind of fleeting unpredictability of where you work and how you work, then I think if you just hold on to these, like, well, I'm definitely going to learn something. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> probably going to have a nice Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Along the way you meet nice people. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Great. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right, I'm aware of time. I don't want to like keep you hostage in Bell's mm-hmm. you know. But um, I do a thing called the Hingamajigs, which are random questions. All right, okay. Um, if you would indulge me, I'll, I'll just try my best. Give you a few randoms. Um, salt or sugar on your porridge? Oh, salt every time. You were going to say that. Salt. I'm trying to cut it. Refined sugar, right, yeah. Have sugar in your nah, salt. Uh, yeah, a wee pinch of salt. Apparently, you're meant to put salt when you're in when you're cooking it. Oh, but I don't eat. because obviously the girls don't want salt in their porridge, so I have to put the salt in retrospectively. See, you were right on there. Best gig you've ever been to? The best gig might have been. It's probably the Charlatans. Actually, I was a Charlatans nut, and it's probably the first one. Actually, I went to see them in the Barrowlands in uh, 1992. Wow! I was only 16. I don't know how the hell I got in, but uh, it was just like it was just like a it was just a whole new world exploding yeah like going to glasgow when you're 16 totally. and going into the barrel and right. just going it was like the most mind expanding thing ever brilliant if you were hosting a dinner party you have three guests you can know them you can not know them they can be here or they can no longer be with us who would you choose i would have liked to have i met i saw him once in sainsbury's Anthony Wilson, you know Anthony Wilson, the um, he was the Granada uh, presenter who started Factory Records, and uh, okay. he was the TV Did presenter. And uh, I've always been fascinated by him, and his he's a kind of like sort of a media mogul sort of like fascinating okay. guy. I think he'd be quite interesting to have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Wayne Dyer would quite like to. Do you know Wayne Dyer? He was like a sort of self help guru. Oh, right. He may be quite interesting to have. Yeah, these are the people I need to go and Google uh, them. Maybe I will know them or and, uh, look them up. For but... gender balance, I'd like to choose a woman. Who would I... I don't know who I would have. Um, I wonder if... Um, Judy Dench, I would say. I'd like to hear from Judy Dench at yes. a party. Yeah. She seems like good fun. Yeah. Did you watch the Louis Theroux? I did, thing that no. she did recently? It's really good. No. It was really interesting. This comes across very well. I love her attitude to work, really. Yeah, and yeah, she's yeah. Just like, and she's and she makes it look effortless. I'm oh, sure. I. I read it. She doesn't. She doesn't read scripts. She gets her agent or her daughter or will, wow. will read a script and say, "Mum, you should do that," or her agent will say, "Darling, yes, you should do that." And I did read once again. It's, it's she doesn't do work. I don't think she does work outside the rehearsal room. I think I read wow. it was Peter Barkworth about acting, and pretty sure. He interviews Judy Dench in it, and he's like, do you ever do any work outside the rehearsal? She said, no, darling, never, never, never do any work outside the rehearsal. And I'm like, that's exactly... If it's that's good a, for Judy. That's if it works for Judy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the question that I do ask everyone, because it's called The Brawn the Brave, uh-huh. is what is your favourite Scots word or phrase? Well, I've been waiting for an excuse to use this. I don't even know if it's Scots, but it's I, I know it quite... It seems to be used more in Scotland. There's probably a, a, all various different languages use this, but um, are you familiar with the phrase, I can't his feather? Or I can't your feather? As in? As in? What, where would you use this? Well, the, the context I always think it gets used in is if, if somebody does really well for themselves... But like so, you want to assimilate yourself. But, but what happens is, as I remember it, is it like somebody would come into a pub and say, "I see that Lisa Kennedy's doing well for herself." Somebody would maybe sit at the end of the bar and say, "Ah, I can't her feather." <laughs> but that means that kind of means she's doing well. 
But as long as she doesn't get above herself, uh-huh. doesn't forget where she comes from. Uh, yes. Do you know that way? And it's like we're not too impressed. We're, no, we're, right. we're glad for her, but we're not that impressed we'll because she's exactly. I remember it for Blair. It was like you'd go into the pub and somebody'd say, "Ah, Kenny's feather." It's not a slight, but it's a. It's not, but it's like basically going. Like, I can imagine, yeah, that conversation, and uh, this is about not this. This would happen about not about me, somebody going in and my, you know, and a pub and Blair Gowrie and say, oh, I see Andy Clark's uh, in River City. Somebody would have went, ah, I can't he's feather. Basically saying, ah, well, I'm not that impressed. You know, which, you know, it came that way, but it, but it's not, dero- it's, not over- it's not overly derogatory. It's just, it's a bit like, it's in Liz, not Lockhead, it's in her version of Tartuffe. Ah, I can't your feather. And it's just, I don't know where it comes from, but it's got that. You you know what I mean, don't you? I totally know what you mean. And it's like uh, how nuanced is that? That's so clever. A couple of words, and it's just like means so much. Aye, because I'll say it sometimes. I'll say it if I've worked with somebody like Sam Hewen, right? Sam Hewen from Outlander. So I worked with so him. That name drop there. Oh, totally. Clank, clang. <laughs> I, I worked with him. Well, I say on Hamlet, another yes. clang there. But so when somebody, if somebody who I've worked with who's gone on to be mm. famous. I'll say it tongue in cheek. <laughs> so somebody will say, Oh, I see Sam Hewins now an international t- TV star. I'll be like, Ah, I can't he's feather. Because I worked through him where he was just knee high a grasshopper and just at the drama school or you know, or Colin Mor I don't know if you know Merlin, the T V programme Merlin. Yeah. Colin Morgan, I worked with him in his first job. So some somebody like I can't he's feather. I'm not that impressed, but good on the boy. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of what it means. <laughs> It is just that proper <laughs> pub Aye. kind of pattern. I love Aye. it. Nobody said that in the podcast, so you get that gold star. Oh, good. It's good in the Hall of Fame. Love it's it. It's good, isn't it? It's, uh, what isn't language great? Aye. But I think about that phrase often. So I'm glad you should. Listen, it's, it's been such a joy. I'm so glad you shared my podcast. I'm having that. I'm saying, I can't be fair. <laughs> and on that note, Andy Clark, thanks so much. It's been a joy. Thank you. Equally a joy. Thank Pleasure. you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.